X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. It's March 31st, 2020, and I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. Today on your daily local news podcast, we'll have an interview with housing advocate and incumbent candidate for Portland City Council, Chloe U. Daly. Whether it's climate change or dismantling white privilege, we want the same things, but we are squabbling over how to get there. We'll also have an interview by Eric Klein with Portland Tenants United founder Margot Black, also a candidate for city council. They'll be talking about the gaps in the eviction moratorium. But first, it's time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. It's Tuesday, March 31st. Rent is about due. Here's a reminder of what to do during the eviction moratorium. You can't pay rent for a reason linked to COVID-19. The first step is to contact your landlord by email or letter explaining the situation and documenting the circumstance. If you need help, Community Alliance of Tenants has an example on their website. As a reminder, after the state of emergency is lifted, renters will have six months to repay their rent. While many see the moratorium as a big step, some advocates want to see rent payments eliminated altogether during the crisis. Portland Tenants United is asking renters who've communicated with their landlords to delay payments in April, to show solidarity, and to pressure government to eliminate rent payments entirely. In a bit, we'll hear from Portland Tenants United founder Margot Black. There are 58 new known cases of COVID-19 in Oregon, bringing the state total to 606. The Oregon Health Authority also announced three new deaths, bringing the death toll to 16. Those new deaths were people with underlying health conditions over the age of 80. They were residents of Yamhill, Clackamas, and Lynn counties. This ain't just an urban thing, folks. The case in Lynn County was a resident of the Oregon Veterans Home in Lebanon. Among the new diagnoses are 12 OHSU employees. As of Sunday, the 12 were out of 846 nurses, doctors, and other staff who were tested. As available tests start to catch up with the demand, Multnomah County has released a new dashboard to track COVID-19 testing and cases. That data could help us better understand the spread and the containment of the virus. Workplace inspections begin this week to check if businesses are doing enough to protect people. When Governor Kate Brown ordered Oregonians to stay home a week ago, she exempted a number of businesses, so long as they maintain a safe distance among employees and take additional steps to prevent the virus from spreading. However, hundreds of Oregon workers are saying their employers are failing that test. OSHA fielded more than 1,100 complaints about coronavirus issues just last week. Surprise inspections could begin as early as this week. And OSHA has said they won't be giving warnings. Public transportation update. Locally, TriMet has seen a drop-off of 47% in ridership in the last week. In order to keep staff safe, TriMet won't take cash and has created more space around drivers. Reduced ridership means that TriMet has decided to reduce the schedules on April 5th. According to TriMet, bus lines in low-income areas will mostly stay the same. No lines will see more than one hour between buses. Impacts on public transportation are impacting our neighbors to the south. Chariots, the public transportation in Salem and Kaiser, will be suspending service due to short staffing, including seven staff testing positive. Here's some unemployment updates in Oregon. The new stimulus bill includes an additional $600 a week for many filers. This is largely in thanks to Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, ranking Democrat on the Senate Finance Committee, Senator Wyden says, and I'm quoting, this is probably one of the most important things I've accomplished in public life, end quote. You can hear from Senator Wyden here on The Local this Thursday. Need to file for unemployment benefits this week? Here's what we've learned about navigating the process. 
first, watch the department's new online tutorial video. It's English only, but it's only about five minutes. Second, file your initial claim. The best way to do it is probably to file a claim online. You can try calling the phone number. That's 877-345-3484. But for now, you might just get a busy signal. Then don't forget your weekly update. Once you've filed your initial claim, you're not done for good. You still have to renew your claim every week until you're rehired or find a new job. The Oregon Employment Department website briefly crashed this month as unemployment claims spiked, but the agency is now attempting to bring on more staff to handle the surge. And from the Department of Silver Linings, there are fewer lost and abandoned animals right now. The Multnomah County Animal Shelter says the situation could get worse should local layoffs continue, but for now, the shelter has the capacity to care for animals of COVID-19 patients. Well, the tulip festival might be canceled, but the Wooden Shoe Tulip Farm is selling 9,000 pots of tulips to assisted living centers around the country. They're going fast, selling like pots of tulips. Nearly 6,000 pots have already been distributed. Beautiful things are happening. In times of social distancing, CSAs are thriving. That's not the Confederate States of America, but community-supported agriculture, networks connecting consumers directly with local farmers. So instead of waiting in long lines or waiting for Jeff Bezos to bring you something, local farms offering CSAs are filling the void. Holly Hutchison, executive director of the Portland Area CSA Coalition, said that they are seeing a major uptick in memberships. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Up next, Eric Klein will interview Margot Black, the founder of PTU, Portland Tenants United. Margot, who's also a candidate for the city council, discusses how the eviction moratorium falls short and how some Portlanders will fall through the cracks. Oregon tenants face a lot of uncertainty with rent coming due at the beginning of April. To address the issue, both Multnomah County and the state of Oregon have passed eviction moratoriums since the beginning of COVID-19. But Margot Black, co-chair of Portland Tenants United and candidate for Portland City Council, says that the governor's 90-day eviction moratorium only delays the final step in a three-part eviction process, with part one and two of being evicted still a reality despite the pandemic. So what the governor did, she didn't do anything about phase one. She didn't do anything about phase two. Phase one of an eviction is when a renter gets a written notice from their landlord. Phase two is when they go to court. When phase two ends with a judge saying, I'm siding in the landlord's favor and you have, you know, five days to move out or however long it is. If you still don't move out at that time, then the landlord can file a motion to get the sheriff to um, drag physically drag you out and change the locks behind you. That's the part that Kate Brown put a moratorium on. So the sheriff can't come, but the sheriff can be waiting, you know, at the gate at the 90-day mark and come drag you out of your house. Meanwhile, Multnomah County has an evictions moratorium of its own. Margot Black says it goes a bit farther than the state moratorium, but it requires people to prove that they can't pay rent because of a specific COVID-19 caused loss of income. Anytime you put a documentation and notification burden on renters, they lose. The county moratorium halts the second two phases of the eviction process, but it's going to require a lot of paperwork from a renter to prove that they meet the criteria. But for tenants who don't meet that criteria, they are, you know, we, we're literally, I mean, it's like a very clear statement that if you were already poor and housing insecure um, or your landlord already like didn't like you and had it out for you, like 
we will still cram you into eviction court and drag you out of your house, you know, but phase three says they can't be dragged out of their house. Um, it's, it's, I mean, do you see how hard it is to even explain this? It's like, it would just be so easy if they said everyone's rent is waived and uh, landlords cannot notice for or file an FED in any Oregon court for any reason, but a 24 hour notice. The 24 hour eviction notice is when a tenant poses an immediate threat to their neighbors. I think those are the only evictions we should be doing right now. And I think rent needs to be waived. I think rent increases need to be frozen. I have a $150 rent increase coming due in April that I already couldn't afford, and I can't afford it now. I've seen landlords, they started the day the news came out about the moratorium at the county, they all started issuing 9.9% rent increases. Really, we need the governor to lift the ban so that local jurisdictions can start now to work out a rent control policy that is going to get us kind of on the path to economic recovery. And they need to right now declare a rent freeze. And by that, I mean, no rent increases, period. I mean, that's an, it's an, it's an iris, like, how is that not price gouging right now? Portland Tenants United and Margot Black are calling for April amnesty. April amnesty means universal forgiveness of rent, mortgages, utilities, and late fees. She's concerned that the current situation with the separate, difficult-to-understand evictions moratoriums is too complex to help renters during the crisis. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to make them the information clearer, and that's criminal because of how many people with, so, with language barriers and literacy barriers and technology barriers and mental health conditions and everything else need to get this information. And it's, it, it you know, took legal aid three pages to kind of write up comprehensive information for people. And that is not the type of solutions we should be looking for right now. And that reflects a lack of representation by renters in the halls of power, a lack of understanding of our issues because of lack of representation. And I think just a, you know, a systematic disregard for poor people. You know, we are very clearly trying to protect property owners. You see, federal government mandates around that and lenders coming out and saying, you know, just let us know and we won't make you pay. But renters, the rent is still due. You know, that has been the most, you know, the loudest message of all of this. The rent is still due. I'm Eric Klein for X-Ray. To hear the full hour interview with Margot Black, I'll post a link on my Twitter. I'm at E-C-K-L-E-I-N. Thanks for listening. Now on to our interview with incumbent city councilor Chloe Udaly. Commissioner Udaly's interview was recorded during News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. Commissioner Udaly talks about tenant protections, climate justice, and what she learned in her first term. Commissioner, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Who are you and why are you running? Oh boy. Well, like you said, uh, I was a small business owner, ran a bookstore for 22 years, uh, a lifelong activist, disability advocate. In the last several years, I got very involved with housing justice, which is what led me to run for city council and win. And I am running because although we have gotten a remarkable amount of work done in the first three years, we're not done uh, fighting for housing justice, transportation justice, uh, climate change, and so on. What are you proudest of that you've done so far? 
Well, it would have to be our tenant protections, which help stabilize uh, tens of thousands of low-income renters in their housing, as well as uh, our more most recent uh, tenant protection package, which is fair access and renting, which decreases barriers to housing and uh, aims to reduce housing discrimination. What have been the biggest challenges? Uh, well, people always talk about drinking from a fire hose. It's an extraordinary amount of work due to the unique form of our city government. We're not just legislators, we're administrators. So we oversee bureaus. I currently... Should we be? Should city councilors be administrators as well as legislators? As much as I love the administrative side, probably because I owned a small business for 22 years and I like problem solving, I think the answer is no. You think we should change it and move to an unelected king? Have the bureaucracy run the whole show? Well, that's what I'm struggling with. What I love about our form of city government is that power is dispersed across five seats. And I'm, accountable to people who vote. Yes. Uh, so I'm a little nervous about concentrating that power. But, you know, we're going to have a big community conversation around charter review. And, uh, you know, it's Portland. Maybe we can invent our own form of city government. What would government. that be? What would what be? What would it look form? like to have a city form of government where, I mean, it, it seems to me there's got to be choices, right? We can sort right. of put it off what those choices are. But either you have, I mean, maybe there's a chance to do it like Great Britain where you still have an ele elected members of the cabinet, but nonetheless, they are, uh, you know, where they come from districts, they're members of parliament, but they are still selected to run particular uh, functions, right? Maybe it could, it could work like that. Generally speaking, I've been thinking that it's a choice between either uh, what we've got now or an emperor mayor or an emperor unelected king. Okay, an unelected emperor, an emperor mayor, or what we've got now, I think are the choices. And people like to, you know, people like to say, oh no, I, we, want, we want districts. Okay, that, that's, districts are cool, but we're actually talking about, I think, unless you're talking about Great Britain, where you have just one person from one geographic area who's like controlling the water bureau, maybe that could make sense. They'd sort of do that in Great Britain. Uh, but otherwise, do you think that would make sense? I'm not suggesting that we go to a district form of government and that we continue to oversee bureaus. I think that would be very problematic. So, so you think we should move to districts or should move to districts? I support districts, but move what to I districts. But then, but that that then means you either got a strong mayor or an un, a, unelected emperor. Yes. Well, I mean, that's how you are describing you it. You put it nicer the, words, it's, but which right. it's those choices, yeah? Look, I've lived here all my life. It's yeah. the only form of local government I've ever known. I'm yeah. very interested in the conversation moving forward. I'm not for a strong mayor form of government, yeah. but I do think we need a city manager. What's an example of a failure since you've been in office, something in the last four years that you would chalk up to, well, that's because we didn't have uh, a city manager. That's because we didn't have a key administrator who was not elected, who did get to run all the bureaus and decide how everything worked. What's an example of a failure because of that? Uh, well, as you probably remember, I was assigned BDS uh, when I first Bureau took of Development office. Services. Yes, and we do you not do like building codes and crap like that. Yeah, we issue permits and we enforce codes. And because we do not have a public's work, uh, public works bureau, the whole permitting process is very disjointed and time-consuming. And we can only be as fast as our slowest permitting bureau. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of 
um, and that's challenges usually the example. Usually, I, I've heard over the years, right? The, the real, the real power that's always wanted to move to something like a city manager were developers. Right, so they didn't have to mess with like waiting as long to be able to build their buildings, and maybe that was a challenge because of inefficient bureaucracy, or maybe there's also some elements of democracy there. Other concerns, other than developers' concerns, and, and, and that's not just—I mean, all kinds of people want to get permits potentially. In addition to that, any other failures over the last, that you witnessed in your in your four years, nearly four years, that you would chalk up to the, our lack of having like a city manager, centralized centralized bureau leader. Right. I mean, you say failure, failures. Mistakes, I say challenge. Challenges, challenges and opportunities. Yeah. Uh, certainly there are always missed opportunities for bureaus to collaborate, to share resources. Um, technology is a real challenge, bureau by bureau, as far as what the bureaus have access to, how they communicate with the public. It's, it's very frustrating uh, for me, which is why I have championed the 311 system. The city really does a terrible job Amen, at customer service. And, uh, you could do that with that we could still impose we could still install a 301 system one centralized system for interacting with citizens of portland who absolutely. call in we're doing we could, it we could do that regardless of having whether we had a city manager strong mayor or the current form of government yes and what i'll say is there is uh infinite room for improvement in the existing form of government we have but going back to the administrative role that commissioners have not everyone is great at it and yeah. and that's why i think ultimately who's we, worst I am not <laughs> going there, Jefferson. Who are the city councilors who really suck at running bureaus? Oh, that is not a fair question. Totally <laughs> I fair refuse question. to answer okay. that. Who are the city councilors that no longer serve, who sucked it as, as administrators? You could say, oh, yeah, city would be way better off if that person hadn't had to run the water bureau. Oh, Jefferson. There's never been anybody bad. Everybody's been ever good. Look, I wasn't super checked in to city council. Sure. I've always been interested in kind of broader social issues. Yeah. I didn't really start paying attention until Novick and Hales tried <laughs> Portland, to advance Portland that. history has only existed for the last six, <laughs> six or seven years. Look, I was busy running a business yeah. and doing my thing and serving my community. It wasn't until the city tried to force a street fee on us uh, after the recession that I uh, started paying attention to what was going on locally and how that was impacting uh, my community. Well, I want to talk to you about the street fee. Who's the strongest opponent you're facing right now? What, or, or, or if you were going to evaluate your opponents, how would you evaluate them? Well, there are a couple people running against me who are running real campaigns. Uh, I'm going to assume that Sam Adams is the strongest opponent just by virtue of name recognition. Um, Heck, he's beer. Yeah, there's that. I mean, it was amazing in the last race I ran in. There were probably 10 people. Only three or four of us were running real, real campaigns. But even people that never showed up, didn't raise any money, didn't have a campaign team, they got a few thousand votes. And I thought, would, do people just like the name Mike? Do they, you know, do they vote for the person who has the nicest smile in the voters' pamphlet? You never pamphlet? know. You never know. So maybe, you know, beer no, here's could the be thing. a deciding factor. And, it's, and, it's, and he was mayor of the darn city. Right. He was. Yes, he was. How good a mayor was he? Well, you know, unfortunately, his term was uh, somewhat clouded by controversy. And uh, it was at the dawning of, well, in the midst of the recession. I will say, you know, although I... Uh, admire the work that Sam did in uh, the arenas of transportation and the environment. 
I probably wouldn't have run for city council if he had done anything to stem the tide of gentrification and displacement that forced cost burden, displaced, and uh, has largely contributed to our homeless crisis. What should have been done? Tenant protections, obviously. I mean, more than 30 years ago, a group of, you know, well-funded lobbyists got together and convinced the legislature to ban rent control. Local governments... uh, But Sam didn't do that. He did not do that. However... And he was barred from... The the statewide preemption barred him from doing doing stuff at the local level, yeah? There was maybe some stuff he could have done. There was obviously some stuff yeah. he could have done because I've done it. Yeah. Uh, the you know our current housing crisis is identified as starting in 2010, and council sat by and did nothing while tens of thousands of renters uh, became cost burdened uh, due to price gouging, displaced, and many of them became homeless. You brought up the street fee. One of my, as I wrestle with this, I'm really sorry I did that. <laughs> so, no, I mean that, understanding understanding your motivation for running and that the street yeah. fee helped help instigate your your interest and in paying more attention to what's going yeah. on in the city and wanted to show leadership there. That's really important. The uh, I I find myself like I'm you know I'm fond of you Thank as a you, human Jefferson. being. I'm also fond of Sam as a human being. I just met Mingus. Uh, Mingus Maps, other candidate for the race, seems like a wonderful person too. Uh, when, when you ran, I had mixed feelings. Mm-hmm. One of my feelings was she seems dope. Having a citizen activist who is prioritizing the most important issue in town, who isn't mobbed up with the people who are all at the trough. Heck yes, and she seems great. I also like Steve. I did too. But even setting aside the light question, I was a little bit worried about if the thing that beats him is a street fee, if the thing that beats him is getting revenue for government services. And by the way, I know candidate after candidate was getting asked by building trades, getting asked by by transportation advocates, hey, we need a funding source so we're not just funding state highways because when we fund state highways, all we do is build the highway expansions to Vancouver. We've got to be able to build the kind of stuff that we can build here to have safer streets in East Portland, etc. And in order to do that, we need a street fee. And candidate after candidate would say yes and then not do it. Right. Steve Novick said yes and then did it. Yeah. And you killed him for it. No. Look, I really like and admire Steve. I voted for him twice. I ran against him because he was checked out on the housing crisis. I did not make the street fee an issue in my campaign. And I won because he was checked out on the housing crisis. And I was standing up there. It played a role, though. You said it played a role in you running. It also played a huge role in being beat. I said that was the first time I really began paying attention to what was going on in City Hall and how it was impacting us locally. That was not, that was years before I decided to run. That's true for a bunch of other Portlanders. You weren't the only Portlander who was starting to pay attention based on the street fee. And so, so similarly, I want to translate that to you. So now Sam and Megas Maps are running, also Keith Wilson. Uh, And one of the things I think that makes some folks think you might be beatable is something that also might be good, which is that you have been willing to stand up around transportation policy mm-hmm. when the big powers that be want to do big highway expansions. You've been saying, hey, I'm not so sure. And so I find myself sort of in a conflicted place where I like root for, where, where, where I think the, the and, and, I, and I like the idea. I mean, Sam Adams knows as much about this city as anybody else. True, yes? 
I mean, he was in City Hall for 20 years, but I, I mean, look where we are now. So I don't I don't know what that's worth. You're frankly. not going to endorse your opponent. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not fair. it's not fair to expect. <laughs> I didn't come here to listen to you sing his praises, but yeah, let's. The, uh, but, ne- but one of the places that I think you showed real courage is in is on the transportation yeah. arena, and that might be one of the reasons that some power wants to go after you. Talk about that. Am I wrong, or explain if I'm at all right? Well, I have relentlessly pursued progressive policy solutions that are going to deliver the most good to the most people, especially people who are the, have been the least well-served by this city. I haven't given a moment's thought to whether or not that would harm my chances for re-election. Amen. I want to get re-elected, but ultimately I can't care about that. I've taken a running start <laughs> at m- multiple issues. I've made lots of friends and allies. I've also made some enemies, but... Uh, you know, and we'll see. We'll see how that uh, tactic has worked out. I can't stay in office year after year and be satisfied with the kind of slow-moving incremental change that a lot of politicians seem to accept as the way things work. I came here to get as much done as I can. This was not what I planned on doing with my life. I am not a career politician. There are lots of other things I'd like to do. What do you I'm, want to do? Hmm? What do you want to do? Well, I'm loving transportation so much. I am mm-hmm. uh, imagining a life in transportation post-politics. I'm really, I've always been interested in urban planning, um, journalism. I don't know. Maybe I'll start a start a radio radio station. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we could use your help. Use all the help we could get. How's the mayor doing? I think he's doing. Are you voting for the mayor? Oh, for Pete's sake, Jefferson. It's pretty challenging. I know multiple people running for yeah, city council. Yeah, the dynamic council. has got to be weird, right? Because yeah. just like you, you come in, three of the people, a majority yeah. of the city council, endorse the person you just beat, and now you got to yeah. work with them. And now you're sort of on the other side of that equation. You're looking down the hall, and when you say, hey, we're not making, we're not doing what we need in terms of structural reforms, well, wait a minute, the mayor is like in the same building as you. And so you say, well, it's ousted him. On the other hand, you say, no, I kind of need his vote on some stuff, and I want him to sign me some bureaus that I actually like. How do you manage that dynamic? Yeah, it's really sticky. I think, I mean, I'm more concerned with the kind of influence that uh, endorsement from a city commissioner, sitting commissioner has, and the fact that there are a number of really excellent candidates running in each seat. I am not a real, I'm not someone who's super comfortable with authority and hierarchy, uh, and that's reflected in the way that I run my office. Um, and I'm in what way? In that everybody has the same job, in that it's chaos, in that everybody loves each other, and you manage with consensus. How does that translate? N- none of those. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not chaos. We definitely have uh, different roles. I would say that because I'm uncomfortable with hierarchy too, and yeah. it sometimes is a limitation to my leadership ability. Absolutely, same. I recognize that. I mean, I have to get more comfortable with wielding power. That's yeah. what some of my, my most valued mentors have said to me but so but that's just to say I'm just very cautious with how I wield it so what I wanted to say to you is I think being a Portland City Commissioner is one of the best jobs in local American politics I think being the mayor of Portland is one of the hardest Uh, obviously you know we haven't had a two-term mayor and I in many cycles you want Wheeler to break the trend (laughs) I mean, 
continuity of leadership is a real challenge, whether it's who is in those seats, who is overseeing the bureaus, who is directing the bureaus. It is so disruptive. I honestly sometimes don't know how this city keeps running. Because there's so much turnover. Yeah. How come there's so much turnover? The jobs pay pretty well. Well, I mean, the terms, the elected terms are only four years, yeah. so they so turn over. Built-in turnover of elected right. officials. There's that. Um, the mayor has the authority to assign and reassign bureaus, so that creates another layer of kind of uh, a lack of continuity with leadership. Um, and I wouldn't say there's super high turner sh- turnover at the director level, although we have uh, seen a number of people leave recently. It's a stressful. It's a stressful environment. Yeah. I can't deny that. And I'm every bureau I have. Uh, one of the one of the issues I'm trying to solve is how can we make this a healthier workplace? How can uh, we help people feel more ownership, take more pride in their jobs? How can we improve the the culture of the bureau? Yeah, it's a challenging thing. It really and, is. Uh, and I will I will put in a plug. It was a it was a, a talk that I researched for, and that if you look at the best kind of feedback that exists, it tends to be specific positive feedback. And generally, you want I don't know between three and five to one positive feedbacks for negative feedbacks. What are the mechanisms for that in government? Not as many. You don't get year end bonuses. You don't get you know they don't make Nike ads in internal promotion ads that they play at the company picnic. Right? It's sort of challenging, but yeah. you do get. Lots of criticism, lots of critique. You see lots of problems, yeah. lots of human pain you can't solve. What's the biggest mistake you've made as city councilor? The biggest mistake. Uh, in retrospect, I would have taken a more active role in the conversation around code change and what our neighborhood network looks like. Yeah. It's a really important conversation. Uh, it's it motivated Megas Maps to run. Yes. So that was like, that was sort of, I guess he was already paying attention. So it's not like sort of the street fee example exactly. But that was what, you know, I think militated his campaign. Well, yes. He is a former employee of uh, Office of Community and Civic Life who disagrees with the work that we're doing around the code change for civic engagement and the reforms we're making to a program previously uh, named Crime Prevention. And now it's community health. Bob, we're just about to wrap up. You got another question you want to ask? Chloe, have you have you ever been a landlord? No. Uh, I've been a renter since I left home as a teenager. I did rent a beautiful, large home in northwest Portland for 18 years and kind of acted as the, um, I guess, uh, den mother of that, of that house, but never a landlord. I would be interested in knowing how much, if any, time you have spent ideally one-on-one or at least in small groups with small ownership landlords. And let me explain the reason I'm asking this question. My wife and I had a sixplex. We were small, we were small landlords, and we had tenants who tyrannized us, absolutely tyrannized us, and because of the, na- the laws that existed and the procedures existed, we finally got out of it. I'm wondering if you have spent enough time with small landlords to understand their problems. Uh, I would 
say that we have had we have sought and uh, listened to a considerable amount of input from small time landlords, uh, whether it's communicating directly with them, whether it's working with the um, rental services board. I can't remember what exactly they call it. I also have a number of friends who are landlords, so I get plenty of input from them. I would say, you know, we can't, we don't know how many units in Portland are owned by um, kind of commercial landlords versus small-time landlords. That's one of the challenges of not having any kind of system to, to track or manage our uh, rental inventory. And we can't decide not to protect tenants because it may have create some burden or hardship for small-time operators. The laws that allow you to get rid of a tenant who is breaking their lease, who is a threat to your property or a threat to the community still exist. We haven't changed anything regarding that. Um, But most tenants are counting on a good referral from their landlord. And most tenants are counting on getting some portion of their uh, deposit back. So while I recognize there are bad tenants, um, bad actors among tenants, just like any other realm of society, we can't not protect everyone else because some people are bad actors. There are laws there to protect landlords and everyone else from people who are a threat. We got about 60 seconds. I I did want to... Please don't ask me to solve homelessness in 60 (laughs) seconds. Twice as long as you gave me last time, but... Solve (laughs) solve Neighborhood Association in 60 seconds. No, here's the last thought, and then my last thought, and then you give yours, and they'll play us out with music. The district-based election question and the neighborhood association question, to me, overlap in a significant way. They're Hmm. trying to address some of the structural challenges we have in the city that relate to historical racism in the city, but at the same time, you do both things. You might actually reduce the level of democracy in the city, the civic engagement that has made our city special, right? People actually engage in their neighborhoods, actually people talking directly to their city councilor who has real power, not just the ability to talk to some unelected city manager. Mm -hmm. What are, finish however you want. Something on my mind at the very least is how do we boost civic engagement at the same time as we are engaging the question on transforming some of the very fundaments of our civic engagement structures up to now? Sure. Well, first I'll just say anyone who knows me or who has been watching me in action should know that uh, squashing public engagement or civic engagement is absolutely not how we boost. Right. I don't see the district conversation and the neighborhood association conversation as necessarily related. I get what you're aiming at. The aim of code change is to recognize that, especially in a Portland where tens of thousands of people, uh, communities of color, low-income people have been displaced out of the central city who are not able to choose the neighborhoods they live in, don't necessarily identify by the geographic place they live in. They might identify, They might organize themselves around uh, racial or cultural identity. They might organize themselves around political issues. associations could be insufficient. There's no reason that we can't recognize and hear from uh, more diverse voices. My problem with neighborhood associations is that they... 
the membership does not reflect the full diversity of our community and therefore we are, we as a city are not doing a good enough job. Thank you so much for being generous with your time. Commissioner Chloe Udaly running for re-election right now. Chloe, thank you so much, Commissioner. Thank you. This was super fun. This is The Local, your one daily 30-minute dose of news and democracy in your hometown. We'd love your feedback and your story ideas. You can send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm or tweet us at xray.fm. Stay home, stay connected. Talk to you tomorrow.